how did it even happen? What are the financial forces, the political forces? Why do we even have fluoride in the water? Fluoride is a leading form of air pollution. Fluorine gas is one of the primary components of a lot of the most dangerous chemical weapons. And that these corporate polluters were the ones that kind of put the idea of fluoridation into the dentist's mind. They, they fanned the flames of it. The media loved it because the public wanted you know, a magic bullet to cure teeth decay. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, it's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to The Vibe Show. Today, what is on my mind is clean water. I'm going to be interviewing Melissa Gallico, and she's a former military intelligence officer and FBI analyst, and she was a Fulbright scholar to the United Kingdom, so smart girl. Um, But she struggled with a major health issue for two decades of her life before she realized that it was completely caused by a chemical that's in our water. So she has started a podcast called F Pollution, and she follows a paper trail of evidence, including declassified government memos, internal industry communications, legal filings, to show how the dental industry and corporate polluters and the sugar industry and human interest or public interest in finding a way to be impervious to dental cavities somehow all came together to really corrupt the science and put fluoride in our water. So Water is also on my mind because I just taught a class. If you missed it, you can get the recording. My class is all about how to get clean and alkaline water in my extensive studies on water for a very long time now. I've come to the conclusion that the ultimate water has all the impurities stripped out, minerals put back in, and then that water is ionized, which makes it extremely high antioxidant, more high antioxidant than your food is. It makes it alkalizing so that, you know, all this um, acidity in our food, air, water, and lifestyle is buffered by our water. It's the simplest, easiest way to increase our antioxidants and um, shift our pH. I really feel a difference in my body since I have my own water ionizer. I've had it for 10 years. I've moved five times in that 10 years. And the first thing I do is say, get my alkaline water going, please because I absolutely feel the difference. If I'm drinking acidic water, which guess what? Most clean water is acidic. I am actually feeling it in my joints. I have one joint in my hand that tells me that I'm acidic. It's like my, that little rooster that's on top of your house. What do you call that? The weather vane. It's like my weather vane. If my right knuckle hurts, it's because I'm acidic and it's time to shift my pH and my alkaline water does that. So You can check out my class when this uh, discussion of fluoride is over. You can check out the class that I just recorded. This is that time of year when we uh, once a year get you a group buy price or wholesale pricing on on a water ionizer, which gives you the totally clean, mineralized or remineralized 
and ionized or alkaline water machines, which I love so much. This is that one time of year and the deal is ending soon. So make sure you go check out my class that I taught. There's a a great PowerPoint to watch and you can see it at greensmoothiegirl.com slash alkaline water. So after listening to this chat with Melissa Gallico about fluoride, go check out greensmoothiegirl.com slash alkaline water for the class I just taught. If you get in on the group buy, you get wholesale pricing and some really cool freebies that we manage to drum up every year. And they're not freebies like some ebook. They're really cool freebies. So Melissa Gallico is the author of a new book called The Hidden Cause of Acne, How Toxic Water is Affecting Your Health and What You Can Do About It. So welcome to The Vibe Show, Melissa Gallico. Thanks so much for having me. So today we're talking about fluoride, and I kind of can't believe that we haven't covered this before on my show because I think it's a really, really important topic. And I was really excited to see out there in the communities that I hang out in of health and wellness influencers that you've taken this on because I feel like most people think that fluoride is an important nutrient for your teeth, for your health. And so you're going to fill us in on what the real deal is. But first of all, why did you get so interested in this topic that you're now like a researcher, published author on the effects on our health and and all the other issues around fluoride and fluoridation? So I didn't intend to have a career focused on fluoride. I I intended to have a career focused on national security issues. I I went to Georgetown and studied science and technology with a focus on international security, went right into the military and then the FBI. And during that time, I had a lot of opportunities to stay abroad, live abroad for different lengths of time. And it was this experience of moving back and forth between fluoridated and non-fluoridated countries that really um, showed me the importance of fluoride. I had had cystic acne for almost 20 years. And when I was doing my Fulbright in Scotland, my skin was completely clear. And that's when I I started to realize whenever I lived abroad, my skin was completely clear and I would come back to the United States, even for a short visit for a week. And my skin would start to break out again, these severe like cystic breakouts around my chin and my jawline. And sometimes it would extend like down my back, down my chest, on my neck, um, really severe acne. And so I eventually figured out it was because of the fluoride in the drinking water. And so it took me, it was a long trial and error process because fluoride isn't just in our drinking water, we also use it as a pesticide. So there's a lot of different ways fluoride makes its way into the American diet. And through trial and error, I was able to eventually clear up my skin, even though I still live in a in fluoride bill, as I call it. And um, so I wrote this little guide, just a free PDF guide, and I put it online and I thought, you know, I have this weird fluoride allergy that makes me have this reaction. But I started to hear from so many other people who also had that same reaction to fluoride and were were able to cure it by limiting fluoride in their diet. And a woman wrote to me um, and the email said, your book saved my life. And I just thought, I have to turn this into a real book. This was just like a 30 page PDF guide. So I wrote a book and I really delved into the literature, the scientific literature on acne and on fluoride. And I was just astounded by what I found. And I, I self-published the book and somehow it made its way to Stephen Herrick Buner, a 
a well-known herbalist and, and writer. And he um, is the one who eventually helped me to get a book deal and, and officially bring the book into the world. So that's how I ended up getting started on fluoride. And then through that research, I uncovered this, you know, I realized that fluoridation is actually a pollution story. And so that's where the podcast came from, that pollution podcast. I wanted to expose this pollution story behind fluoridation because I thought if more Americans knew knew that story, uh, we would be, you know, in a better place to end fluoridation. Well, now it makes sense to me that you're so passionate about it. I can't imagine having cystic acne for, for what, 20 years, did you say? That, that, you know, that's such a... It's like a social liability of, you know, a teenage girl has so much embarrassment about everything to do with her looks and it was completely unnecessary. And then you find out your own government is dumping this in the water and I can, I can totally see now why you want to dedicate yourself to this and probably save a lot of other kids and young adults from a similar fate. So I knew that fluoride was an endocrine disruptor. I didn't, realize that there were people who just that and that alone was causing their cystic acne. So did you go through a long period of time of trying to figure it out and ruling out other things? Like it's hard to kind of hone in on that, I would imagine. Yes, it took me decades. <laughs> you know, I, I really, I, I did all the prescription drugs. I was on Accutane. I did all the um, really harsh creams and all kinds of natural treatments, um, lymphatic drainage massage, like every week I was going for that. And um, nothing really made a dent in my acne. It was just really severe. Um, and I, I kind of narrowed it down to the water because I knew certain places I lived, as soon as I like, washed my face, I would feel like kind of, it would like kind of sting. Like it felt uncomfortable. And in other places, you know, I washed my face and it felt good. So I kind of had a suspicion it was in the water. And, and for a long time, I had been washing my face with bottled water. And I knew there are a lot of studies that show that topical exposure to fluoride can cause a condition called perioral dermatitis, which just looks like acne. So I thought, you know, washing my face with, with bottled water made sense. And then I just, something clicked where I thought, well, if it can make, if it can cause acne topically, can it cause it, you know, if you're taking it internally in your diet? And it was so easy to test that theory. All I had to do was switch to fluoride-free water for a few weeks and immediately I saw a huge improvement. So that's when I knew I was on the right track. And then it took several more months. I would have a flare up and I would think, oh, well, this must have been caused by something else. But I would look back in my diet and see what I ate that was different. And then I'd go on PubMed and look through the research and see, oh, chicken, chicken soup can be high in fluoride. Like who would have known that? I didn't know that. And so by eliminating that, um, you know, I eliminated that source of flare-ups and then eventually I just eliminated all those sources of fluoride and my acne was completely gone. And, and it's not just um, teenagers and young adults. A lot of women in their 30s and their 40s have, have acne. It's, it's on the rise in adult women and, um, and men as well, but I, I hear from more women. I've heard from people who have had fluoride-induced acne for 50 years and did not know it. So I think... It used to be a teenage condition, maybe in the 50s and the 60s when, when uh, fluoridation was first introduced. But now that we've been living with fluoridation for so long, and fluoride accumulates in your body, it stays in your bones. The National Academy of Sciences estimates that the half-life the half -life of fluoride in bone is 20 years. So we've been living with it for so long, and I think that's why we're seeing higher and higher rates of adult acne. 
Okay, so let's back up to does fluoride actually deliver on its promise because it's a chemical byproduct that is put in our water to save us from cavities. Um, what do you what do you have to say about whether it actually even prevents dental caries? The science on it is is really weak, and I don't even really get into the argument because the, the CDC at most they say it saves two cavities per person. You know, it's not like it like our teeth would be falling out of our mouths if we didn't have fluoridation. That's their claim: two cavities per person, and. So even if I want to give them that personally, I don't think it prevents cavities. When we drink fluoride, there's some evidence that topical application of fluoride uh, will, will you know, be protective of, of dental decay. But drinking it, the evidence is, is very, very weak. And even if it does, there's just so much evidence of harm that it really isn't wise to be putting it in the water or to be drinking it at all. I started studying it myself when my first child was a year old and the pediatrician prescribed me a bottle of blue pills for him that were oral fluoride. He was supposed to take oral fluoride. So um, at that time, um, our county, which is called Utah County here in the state of Utah, was one of the few holdouts that weren't fluoridating the water. And I think that that will probably shock people. And I don't know what's happened. I don't live in Utah County anymore, but... There was uh, the people who owned this chain of health food stores there in the county who every couple years there would be a bill to fluoridate the water and they would fight it and they would get out the vote from all the holistic people who knew better and knew it to be this toxic chemical byproduct dumped into the water with, with a lot of financial reasons to leave it in the water and very few health reasons, if any. And um, so I was concerned because basically the pediatrician was saying, you're not he's not getting medicated by the water like most people in the U.S. So here, give him this pill. And I felt really uncomfortable with it. And I studied it out and I was shocked to find out that the people that I trust, like the government who treats my water and the pediatrician who is supposed to help be responsible for my child's health, were, were leading me astray. So how did it even happen? What are the financial forces, the political forces? Why do we even have fluoride in the water if... At best, it might topically avoid a little bit of tooth decay, and even that is debatable. Such a good question, and I, I was really fascinated by this when I started doing the research. So what we have forgotten as a society, or we don't realize, is that fluoride is a leading form of air pollution. And in the mid-20th century, when fluoridation was introduced and they were doing all of these studies initially, fluoride was the leading form of air pollution causing more litigation from damage to agriculture and livestock and things like that than the next 10 pollutants combined. So it was a very costly pollutant. And very early on, um, corporate polluters realized, you know, they, they knew fluoride is toxic. No one disagrees with that. It, 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 fluorine gas is one of the primary components of a lot of the most dangerous chemical weapons. And so we all know that the element fluoride is, is or fluorine is very toxic. And they were studying this because um, their workers, the factory workers, were being exposed to a lot of fluoride. And so they really had to jump on studying fluoride's effect on humans. And they definitely made the science go in their favor. And they worked very closely with dentists because it, it's, really, it's really interesting. I, I have this podcast because I'm like following the paper trail. I want to show people the documentary evidence that shows that these corporate polluters were the ones that 
kind of put the idea of fluoridation into the dentist's mind. They, they fanned the flames of it. They, um, the, the media loved it because the public wanted, you know, a magic bullet to cure tooth decay. Tooth decay was a giant problem because, you know, during the Great Depression and the World Wars, people were not well nourished and, and you could tell by their teeth. So they needed this silver bullet and they, they wanted, they, they wanted that magic bullet. And um, so it wasn't really a hard sell to the public at large. Everybody was happy with it, except for the fact that it is a very toxic chemical byproduct. Over 90% of the fluoride added to water in the United States is hydrofluorosilicic acid, which they purchased directly from the phosphate fertilizer plants in central Florida. For, for those plants to emit this hydrofluorosilicic acid into the atmosphere, it would be it would be considered an illegal pollutant. They're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to put it in the waterways, you know, to um, to pollute the waterways with it. But they can sell it to your local water supplier, and they dilute it in the water system, so it's not you know as strong as if it was going into the atmosphere. But the science that says long term exposure to low doses of fluoride is safe was funded and was was conducted on behalf of these corporate polluters to defend against all of these lawsuits that they were incurring because they knew that if it became accepted fact that these low doses of chronic blood exposure are safe, it would, their, their industries wouldn't be able to handle it because they couldn't function, especially at the time with the pollution control devices that were available, they would not be able to survive if they weren't allowed to pollute into the atmosphere. So it's not, I tell people, it's not a conspiracy. It's not like there's evil people saying, I want to poison America. I want to poison Americans to control their minds or to reduce the population. It was, it was a pollution story. They were, in their eyes, fighting for their survival as an industry. And, and you can see that. They put that right in the legal filings. Like that was their argument to these judges a lot of times. Like our industry won't survive and it will be a national security crisis if we don't have, you know, the aluminum industry or there's all kinds of industries that are uh, affected by uh, fluoride emissions. Um, and so that's why our science is so skewed um, because fluoride is a leading form of air pollution. Interesting. And I didn't know that it was also being used as a pesticide or that there are entire countries. I know that, I know that there are countries who use less fluoride or don't use fluoride, but um, we should cover that in a minute because it sounds like that was really key for you in when you would go over to Europe or whatever and be like, wait, my acne is gone. Um, and I'm sure you'd like I, a lot of people would be like, is it that they don't have spray Roundup on their wheat? And so eating croissants or bread over here is different. Is it the non that they don't hybridize their grain? Also, I would be like asking all kinds of questions like that. Um, but I think you're making a very good point. I was going to say, there are so many different factors, and I get that question a lot, but how did you know it was the fluoride? But the reaction is, to me, for, for me, it's just a matter of hours. So I really can just look back to what I ate that day, and and I'm an intelligence analyst, you know, so I was able to piece it together um, pretty clearly, and especially that it's held up, this theory has held up for me since, you know, since I was able to confirm it. 15 or 10 years ago or so, you know, it's, it's consistent, very consistent, always every single time from fluoride exposure. So, um, so just the experience of living with that reaction every day has uh, made it really clear to me that that's what it was caused by. I'm sure there'll be moms listening to this. Um, our audience is mostly like 35 to 65 year old women, but women my age will be listening to this and going, oh my gosh, 
did I not think about that when, you know, my child, what if it it's, you know, the cause of or one of the causes of my child's acne? Um, I'm definitely asking myself that question, except that I always filtered um, the water in my house. And usually we had whole home filtration, but maybe if you're really sensitive, it would still cause a problem because maybe some fluoride can get through even in whole home filtration. Yeah, that, that's a good point because I have a, a private Facebook group for fluoride sensitive people who are in various stages of figuring out how to clear their acne or sometimes other health concerns that are caused by fluoride. And one of the things we've noticed just by comparing stories is that some of the filters that claim to reduce fluoride don't reduce it enough for fluoride sensitive people. I used to recommend reverse osmosis. Like when I wrote my book, I said, you know, reverse osmosis, water filtration is a very effective way to remove fluoride. But then I started hearing from people that it didn't work for them. And then I, I learned that those systems rely on, you know, the pressure can cause some of the minerals to backwash into the finished product and that can increase the fluoride content. Um, and so there's all these factors involved in whether it would reduce um, fluoride enough to, to actually completely clear your skin. And there have been other other ones like activated alumina is supposed to be really good for fluoride, but we have people with fluoride sensitivity, they cannot drink that water. It has to really be fluoride free. Um, so that's that was something that I've learned since writing the, the book, just by comparing notes with other fluoride sensitive people. Well, and even if you're not fluoride sensitive, I still think that, you know, it's not like anybody metabolizes fluoride well, and we're, we're all fluoride sensitive. It's just that for you, it shows up in a very aggressive way and a very, you know, debilitating way. And so, um, you know, the only good news about that is that you're, you know, you really went to the trouble of figuring it out. But what I wanted to ask you is, do, does the evidence link it to regular acne too, or only cystic acne? That's a good question. I, I've had both kinds of reactions, like the cystic acne would be like the bigger breakouts that would last you know, sometimes a month, like these huge welts. But I would also get smaller pimples. Um, so I kind of had had both. And I, I, I think we won't really know until we get researchers studying fluoride-induced acne. There's just going to be all kinds of questions like that. Okay, so I think when people hear something like, okay, the chemical industry was in trouble. They were, or let's say they weren't in trouble. They were just looking for new uses for their products. If you weren't around in the 1950s when Dow Chemical would literally put up billboards that said, Dow, a better life through chemicals. Like that's just not something that a comp chemical company would put out there now because now there's so much backlash of, and so much awareness of the consequences of this huge industry that's creating plastics and volatile organic compounds and pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, fungicides and, and all these chemicals for thousands of different uses. We didn't yet know in the 1950s and 1960s when this all happened, we didn't know the fallout and we didn't know the cost that we would pay. And so is it really just as simple as, I mean, any more information you can give us because it's hard for people to wrap their brain around. The chemical industry drove this product into our water supply through the dentists the ADA still supports fluoridation, despite the massive amount of evidence that I know you review in your book. Um, is it just because when a very lucrative industry gets inside several other industries, it's just hard to pull it back? Is that as simple as what's going on here? It's, um, it's really complicated because it started with the, the corporate polluters, you know, suggesting, hey, 
like, for example, a researcher who was actually funded by the sugar industry because they also played a role in pushing fluoridation because it covered up the fact that cavities were actually caused by sugar. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a huge paper trail there. Um, so there was a researcher funded by the sugar industry studying um, nutrition and cavities, and he found that like a certain diet was protective of cavities. And so it was someone from the aluminum industry that said, oh, could it be fluoride? You know, they just kind of plant that idea. And the sugar researcher was like, oh, let me see. And he became the one who initially suggested adding fluoride to the water supply. And that was before um, before federal researchers were, were looking at it. And like the, the official story on the National Institute of Health's website is that this public health dentist named H. Trenley Dean pushed for fluoridation trials because of the obvious impact that fluoride have had on preventing dental decay. But if you look at his personal correspondence, which I, I have all this linked to in my show notes for the podcast, he actually thought that the, the beneficial effects of fluoride were being overblown. And he actually did not want to have fluoridation trials because he knew that they didn't, they didn't do any health studies. They didn't do any risk assessments. They didn't know how fluoride affected parts of the body other than teeth. But the public demand was so great for it that they voted to overrule him and they went ahead with the first fluoridation trials. And then he was kind of like, well, if they're doing trials, I might as well be the one overseeing it so I can make sure it's done correctly. You know, so then they're doing trials, even though it's not what he wanted to do. And so it was kind of this like slippery slope. It wasn't like, the corporate polluters were pushing it the whole time. It was also the public, the media. And then, like, the U.S. Public Health Service was very reticent to endorse fluoridation. But once they did, in night, so they started these trials in 1945. They were supposed to be 10-year trials. Five years later, so halfway through, the federal government endorsed fluoridation. And it was so peculiar, peculiar because the studies, you know, weren't completed. There was no new toxicological data that came out that said it was safe. And there were a few congressional hearings that I go to in depth in different podcast episodes where the congressmen are like, why did you endorse it? Why did you endorse it now? And to see them tap dance around it, you know, there was some other reason they endorsed it. It was some kind of pressure from somewhere. Maybe it had to do with the fact that the head of the federal security agency, which was in charge of the U.S. Public Health Service, was a big-time lawyer for the main polluter. I don't know. There's no like physical evidence of that, but maybe that's what happened. Maybe there was pressure. There was pressure from somewhere, and they endorsed it early. and And once they made that kind of endorsement, they just never looked back. And they, it's really hard to to take something that you've been promoting that the government has promoted been promoting for decades and said it's completely safe. And then all of a sudden say, oh, we were wrong. Like, who's liable in that situation? For all of the damage that's been caused over those years by the government being wrong. And so I think it started off as corporate polluters pushing it, turned into, like, it turned into something else. So it turned into, now it's more, maybe there's some ego involved. There's definitely institutional inertia where it's just, this is what we do. Um, and I, I know it's hard for people to understand, like, well, why would the why would the EPA go along with it? Why would the CDC go along with it? What about the Surgeon General's office? So I have episodes on each of those government agencies one at a time, and I go into depth on how it happened that they 
that they ended up not protecting, they failing to protect the American people from the health effects of fluoridation. It's, it's so interesting to see how the science was manipulated by all the different forces that go into shaping public health policy. And it's not just acne. There's a lot of health problems that are linked to our exposure to fluoride in the water. And as you pointed out elsewhere, I didn't know it was in chicken soup, but if it's in chicken soup, I bet it's in a lot of places. What are some of the other negative health effects that are associated with chronic fluoride exposure? So there's a lot of research about how fluoride affects, like you said, the endocrine system, especially the thyroid. And there's a lot of research that it depresses thyroid function. And we have this huge epidemic of people suffering from hypothyroidism. And we're literally putting a thyroid depressant in the public water supply. So that's something that can have all kinds of side effects on, you know, weight gain, mood. Um, you know, when you start, start uh, messing with hormones, there's a cascade of, of side effects that can occur. Um, other health effects are um, it accumulates in our bones, like I mentioned. So it can cause arthritis-like symptoms. It's a, it's a, um, a condition called skeletal fluorosis. And we don't really see the advanced stages of skeletal fluorosis in the United States, as far as we know, but it's a spectrum. You know, maybe people have more joint pain, more um, tendency to hip and bone fractures because of all of the fluoride that has accumulated in their skeletal system. It definitely accumulates in the pineal gland, which regulates melatonin and our circadian rhythm. So that could be that, that's where they found the highest concentrations of fluoride in the human body. So that could be affecting us in, as a society in, you know, in a lot of different ways. And then there's a lot of research recently that's come out on the neurotoxic effects of fluoride. There was a really big study published a few weeks ago in uh, JAMA Pediatrics about prenatal fluoride exposure and its effect on children's IQ. Um, and the researchers were saying that um, the neurotoxic effects of prenatal exposure to fluoride are equivalent to um, the effects seen with lead. So that study is getting a lot of press and people are starting to take it more seriously that that fluoride is affecting parts of the body other than teeth. And we really need to start applying the precautionary principle and stop putting it in the water. um, Stop, you know, there's no reason for pregnant women to be consuming fluoride. And that's what these, um, these study authors and even the editor of the journal is, is saying. He's a pediatrician at, uh, I think, Seattle Children's Hospital, and he's now advising his pregnant patients not to drink fluoridated water. Well, thank goodness for more voices out there saying that, because when we got lead out of our water and many other products, what, decades ago, and you just said that there's evidence that um, fluoride exposure is equally toxic, equally damaging to lead. So I guess, you know, if more people like you and this pediatrician start speaking up about it, then maybe we can finally see lead, you know, or see fluoride go the way of the dodo like, like lead did. And I think that people need to start asking themselves questions about, have I been exposed to fluoride? And and you think that if you have an RO system on your sink, you're golden, Um, but you know, some of the bottled water, people think they're getting filtered water. Sometimes they're just getting water, water. Sometimes they're just getting water that doesn't even, you know, it's not even been filtered. I, I have read that it's the vast majority of water that's sold isn't even, isn't even filtered. So talk about, cause you, I was a little alarmed when you said the RO system, 
you know, sometimes they get backed up or whatever. Just for a regular person, we're all sensitive to fluoride, right? You're just really sensitive to it. You know, like probably some people would say, you know, it's very allergic or whatever. How do we then get rid of our exposure to fluoride? I mean, we probably can't entirely get away from it, can we? But how do we massively limit it? So there, there's definitely a lot of things you can do to reduce your exposure to, exposure to fluoride. And, and um, I have a huge post on my website, everything I know about filtering fluoride from water, uh, filtering fluoride from drinking water. But, but basically, um, I, I usually recommend that people do a 30-day challenge. Like if you think one of your health, effect, health side effects is caused by fluoride. Um, if you do a 30-day challenge with distilled water, I know some people don't like drinking distilled water because it does have minerals. You can reconstitute it if you want, but it's a very reliable fluoride-free drinking water. Um, so that just gives you a baseline of um, how your skin looks or, you know, if you're having like some people think they're fluoride it's causing migraine. So it's a way to kind of be fluoride-free for 30 days. And then you can try um, adding a bottled water that you like or uh, reverse osmosis water. And if you see a difference, then you know that that's too much fluoride for you. Um, so that's one thing I recommend people can do. Um, or you could get a reverse osmosis filter that has an added fluoride filter. That way you, you kind of got some redundancy there um, to take out the fluoride. Um, and then as far as avoiding it in diet, you have a very health conscious crowd. And so the two sources that I found are most surprising to health conscious people um, black tea and even green tea can be a significant source of fluoride. It's the one edible plant that uptakes it naturally from the soil in large amounts. So I know people drink a lot of kombucha tea that could be very high in fluoride. There, there have been cases, people who drink a lot of tea, you know, every day they're drinking multiple glasses of tea and, and it's caused arthritis later in, in life, arthritis like conditions. Uh, it's actually, you know, early stages of skeletal fluorosis. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And then um, with chicken soup, I know making bone broth is really popular because of how all the nutrients that it contains. Um, but chickens, just like humans, will accumulate fluoride in their bones. So if you're using conventional poultry bones, you know, where they have been eating feed that contains fluoride-based pesticides, right now the limit for fluoride residue um, from pesticides on uh, poultry feed is 130 parts per million. So to put that in perspective, the, um, the recommendation for drinking water is 0.7 parts per million. So this is 130 parts per million. It's incredibly high. And I just, some of my worst reactions were from chicken products that contained um, bone. So if it, it's a like ground chicken often contains little shards of bone that gets in there. So that could be very high in fluoride, chicken soup chicken lunch meats, chicken sausages, things like that where you're eating a very processed chicken product. It really needs to be organic. And if you know your farmer and can make sure those chickens are being provided fluoride-free water, that's really your safest bet um, for chicken products. I've, I've never had a reaction to chicken breast off the bone, but it's really anything like where it's cooked on the bone or there's little shards of bone in it, that, that's very high in fluoride. Okay, so our tea drinkers are going, wait, are you saying I'm just, you know, going to get exposed to a ton of fluoride if I drink tea? We're, we're the best we can get if we get certified organic. Am I wrong? Well, tea isn't necessarily from pesticides. It's from fluoride in the soil surrounding the tea. <laughs> and sometimes soil has a lot of fluoride naturally. There's a lot of fluoride belts throughout the world. They tend to be 
kind of near the base of large mountain chains because the mountains are like pushing the fluoride up from deep within the earth where it's supposed to be. So uh, that's why a lot of tea will contain high amounts of fluoride just naturally, even if they're grown organic. Okay, so we've covered some good ways to minimize your chronic fluoride exposure. I do want to point out that just, you know, if you're eating garbage chicken products, it's not just fluoride that concentrates in their organs and tissues and skin. It's a lot of other chemicals as well. I mean, fluoride is not by any means the only toxic chemical that we're exposed to, but um, it's the one that Melissa is highly, highly sensitive to, and it's one of the most dangerous ones. But just want to point out that where there is fluoride, there are other chemicals as well, and we all have different levels of sensitivity to it. So tell us, um, besides the decreasing our own personal exposure, how do we get involved in the movement? Tell us a little bit about um, where people can hear your podcast. Do you think there's hope? Do you think that the United States is ever going to stop promoting fluoridation? And how can we get involved so that we can accelerate getting fluoride out of our water? Because it is forcible medication. And some people consider that to be very socialist because we don't have any medical freedom when the water that is given to everybody to drink, because not everybody in America can can afford a reverse osmosis filter. In fact, the vast majority don't. Most people drink water right out of the tap. It's forcible medication. Think about that for a minute. So just talk to us a little bit about the, the political issues. Do you have a lot of hope that we can really drive fluoride out of municipal water systems? And, and uh, where can everybody find you? Yes, I definitely do have hope for the movement. You can see that people are getting more health conscious. The organics movement is growing. Natural skincare products, they're, they're becoming really popular and, and mainstream. And I think fluoride will go right along with that as more people become aware of the everyday toxins that we're exposed to on a daily basis. Um, there is a big uh, lawsuit that's going to uh, trial in February, the, the, the Moms Against Fluoridation and the Fluoride Action Network and some other um, organic consumer groups are suing the Environmental Protection Agency for their failure to enforce the Toxic Substances Control Act, which would, um, in their argument, in effect, uh, make fluoridation um, illegal. So that lawsuit has already passed a number of hurdles in the courts, and the courts in the past have um, have sided with people who have uh, who have sued over fluoridation in different ways. They they always kind of find a way to keep it in the water supply, but it, a lot can come out in those trials, especially in the discovery process. So that's a, that's very exciting. And um, and, and my podcast is called fpollution.com, and I it's community supported. We have a, a small studio of producers, and they help me get the podcast on the air. We'd love to have anybody on board that wants to get involved in any fluoridation, um, either in your community. You could just start going to city council meetings and, uh, you know, if your town puts fluoride in the water and tell them you don't want to have it in the water, give them the study that came out in town pediatrics, you know, people just aren't aware of, of what's going on because they have so many other issues in, in their lives. But I, I found that just by talking with people, most people know that story, you know, that Brockovich story of corporate polluters, um, polluting our, our water supply and people fighting back. So once they learn that fluoride is a leading form of air pollution and that the science is much more complicated than we originally thought, um, for a lot of people, that just makes sense. It clicks with them. So 
to start having those conversations. I have a lot of resources if you want to start um, talking to talking to, to your political representatives. Um, feel free uh, to reach out to me and I can give those to you. I also have a private Facebook group for people who are trying to figure out um, if their acne is caused by fluoride or maybe they, they've already determined that and they just um, are sharing information with others. So you're welcome to join that as well. It's called Fluoride Three Faces. Well, thank you so much for being brave enough and taking time out of your life to speak up because I know that saving others from what you've been through is a big part of your mission. So I so appreciate you sharing with us today. So I hope you enjoyed this chat with Melissa like I did. Sorry, we had some technical issues for quite a while and hopefully the sound was okay for you. But I feel like it's an important topic that everybody should know about, especially people who are raising children right now because fluoride, yeah, it's being foisted on our children as a dental cavities uh, solution. However, what it's doing to their hormone system, I think is really just unforgivable that all these industries have come together to to keep perpetuating this fraud, really. Again, if you want to check out my class that I just taught on alkaline water and what it can do for you, check it out at greensmoothiegirl.com slash alkaline water. Hopefully when you listen to it, the deal is still going. Check it out. We give you wholesale pricing. I think it's something like 40% off retail and you get some really cool freebies. So check that out and I will see you next time. 